I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about conception and pregnancy. Uh, And without further ado, you hear enough from me. So uh, I'd like to uh, invite my guests to introduce themselves. Um, So we're just going to do our name, our pronouns, um, where you're from, and your connection with kids. Uh, I'm Tristan Reese. I'm a transgender dad living in Portland, Oregon. Um... I use he, him, his, and I have lots of connections to pregnancy and parenthood. I'm a transgender man who was pregnant myself, and now my baby's two. Um, And I'm the director of family formation at Family Equality, which is the nation's leading organization supporting queer families and family building processes. And so I spend a good chunk of my time both working with queer folks to help them understand what are all their options around conception, um, as well as working with providers to help them better understand, support, and welcome queer people who may come to them. at some point in their journey, because I don't think that queer folks should have to be educating their providers while they are like also trying to have a family. <laughs> so let me bear that burden for you. We could talk forever just about that. <laughs> I once had a doctor ask me, and he was like, so he was like an older man, and he was just so earnest about it that I was like, and I am an educator by you know at heart, so like I'm always happy to educate people. But he was just like, oh, tell me, like, and just wanted me to like tell him all about like wh- how he should talk to his patients, and I'm like, they should have training. Mm, yep. You should well, have training your for. patients. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am Vicky Bloom. I am a full spectrum doula. I live in the suburbs outside of New York City, so I work with people who are becoming pregnant, who are pregnant, and who are delivering babies, and I do definitely have as my focus working with people who maybe don't fit very well into sort of the defaults of the medical models, so that is including queer parents, trans and non-binary parents, um, older parents, single parents, um, and anybody else who feels like the medical system isn't really set up super well for them. I'm also an educator through the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Program, which is, it's actually a lifestyle program that they have programs starting from preschoolers all the way up through adults. And they're actually producing a program right now for elders as well as that's becoming a demographic that's needed, but I work on what's the flagship program, which is their program for ninth and 10th graders. So I talk to ninth and 10th graders a lot about sexuality. Oh, and I'm also a, uh, I'm also a parent of a 16 year old. Um, oh, fun. <laughs> who I gave birth to. So. <laughs> um, did you mention your pronouns? Oh, I forgot to. My pronouns are she, her. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. That's okay. There was a lot. I bombarded you with a lot of questions. <laughs> Um, speaking of questions, I have more for you. Um, so basically that's why we're here. <laughs> so, um, basically a lot of the content of the podcast is we talk about sort of questions that often catch grownups off guard. Uh, and I'm curious if there was ever a time could be about this topic, could be about a different topic, but that uh, a kid asked you a question that you weren't really prepared to answer. So I think the biggest one for me is not necessarily an individual question that threw me off, but getting questions when a parent is around. And I'm not sure that the answer that I would choose Mm. is the answer that the parent would choose. 
Um, I sometimes when I'm working with parents and they have, you know, children who are toddlers or preschool age, they are confused because I'm a plus size person. Mm -hmm. So they sometimes think I'm pregnant Mm -hmm. and they'll ask a question about, about my baby. (laughs) And I'm totally comfortable talking about, you know, bodies being different and I have a big belly, but that's not because I'm growing a baby inside (laughs) it, but it makes the parents super uncomfortable if I'm nonplussed by it because they're very embarrassed about the child asking that Mm -hmm. question. But to me, especially with young children, questions are neutral. Mm -hmm. They they don't have all that judgment that if an adult might ask it is in there. So I'm really pretty happy answering it. Yeah, neutrally. that's how I feel when kids ask if I'm a boy or a girl. I'm like, that's a great question, and parents are like so mortified. <laughs> I often hear from parents who are terrified because they're four to five to six year old has like super binary thinking. You know, they're like, I've done my best to, to like show my kid inclusive practices, but they're, they they came home from school and said only boys can have short hair. What have I done wrong? And I'm like, literally nothing. That's how their brains work. Their mm-hmm. brains only function in binary. It's developmentally appropriate for them to notice difference at age three to five and for them to notice difference mm-hmm. in very rigid terms from ages like four to six, sometimes seven, depending on the kid. So like, it's not bad if your kid asks a plus size person when they're having their baby or notices a person that has like super dark skin in the grocery store. That's like not bad and you don't need to be embarrassed about that. The correct response is, you know, yeah, isn't it so cool that bodies come in all colors, shapes and sizes, you know, and, and it's not, it's nothing bad or wrong. Uh, you, you haven't failed. Um, <laughs> but for me, I mean, there's, there's lots I mean, I work. I also work with teenagers um, and high school students, and I think for me, some of the tough things that come up really come up in situations where a student asks a question and they don't know that it's inappropriate, either because they mm. are themselves on the autism spectrum and maybe their perception of what's appropriate and what isn't is skewed. And then I, as a facilitator, am put in that awkward position of, I'll answer any question, that's fine. And I, but I want to manage the fallout in the room. I want to make sure that other people aren't going to shame that kid for not knowing. But also I have to educate that kid that it really isn't appropriate to ask me if I've had the operation. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. all of managing all of those dynamics at once and helping everyone emerge with their dignity intact. And as a facilitator, that's my like my number one goal is that everyone emerges yeah. and they, they feel that they've been heard and seen and respected. Um, yeah. And so that's tough. I think earlier when my kids were littler, some questions that they had that bumped up against my own traumas, those are always hard. Mm-hmm. Even if they ask it with true innocence, um, it can be really hard to have a, your own kid tell you, but you can't be a man because you don't have a penis. You know, those kinds of things mm-hmm. that you're like, intellectually, I know that's a, that's an appropriate question for a four-year-old. To, to be asking, or to, that's an appropriate thing for a five-year-old to say, but the impact that it has on me after the you know accumulation of ways in which the world has told me that exact same thing for yeah. twenty-five years, um, it can be you know those things can be at odds with each other, and so I've had to really learn how to manage my own stuff and do my own healing, so that I'm not taking out all of my stuff on on my kids. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's so important. And that's something that I've learned. Actually, being a nanny and working very closely with families has taught me that I can't take things personally. 
um, because I'm in such close proximity with other people. And sometimes they're having bad days and sometimes they're having good days. And, you know, it's not always reflective of me. Um, and, but I think that that's something really valuable that we, you know, that we have to learn from kids because they are, you know, they're just like you said, they're asking questions is so developmentally appropriate and they're just, you know, and they're neutral. They're just asking, um, and I think it's it's hard sometimes to, to learn not to take them personally. You know, I think it's interesting, something that you said earlier, Tristan, about the developmental appropriateness of that, because kids also have cultural stuff coming at them. And sometimes you think you're done. You know, my my son, when he was just in like a preteen stage, had friends who were non-binary, was, you know, understanding fairly complex things about gender, and then came out with, my friend's upset because he can't date this girl because the bro code <laughs> and I'm like whoa where did that come from that you know you have this this understanding but then all of a sudden the bro code's <laughs> a real thing that that you know you you own future dating of this young woman because somebody else had a dating experience <laughs> with her so these things come yeah. back they really do you hear all I mean yeah you hear even from like the most woke teenager some like really bizarre things but it you know it happens at all ages and that's just part of your job is to say all right well let's unpack that I feel so bad for my poor kids because part of what I I want to do is like not lecture at them but try to find like real world ways to what do they call like teaching moments teachable moments so like we'll be listening to the radio and then I learned you can't interrupt the song you have to wait till the song is done but then I'll turn it down and be like so so let's talk about what, what do you guys think that what do you think that that song was about? And is that like a healthy way to approach relationships? Like if you yeah. say that like I'm nothing without you, is that an appropriate thing to put on a partner? And I, my poor kids are always just like, oh my god, <laughs> we can't just listen to music. I know. Can we just like listen? The poor children of woke parents. I know. know. We talk about this a lot with like, with doing it with picture, but whether it's with picture books or pausing movies and being like, hmm, that's interesting. Did you notice that? What do we think about that? Like, we can't ever just sit through something. (laughs) I've now tried to just find positive, positive, healthy examples. So at the end of a song, I'll turn it down and be like, so guys, what did we hear him say that was like positive and wonderful about his partner? He, he thinks that he's a better person when she's around. Like that is a great way to frame a relationship with another human being. Do they bring out the best in you? So I've really been trying to like not just do the what not to do, but now like the find those positive things and then really lift them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think that like sort of in general, I try to sort of lift up positive things instead of pointing out negative. I just feel like it's easier, especially with kids. I feel like it's, I don't know, like sort of a great mentality to have. Um, so I'm curious, and this this is sort of, I put a lot of different like things in this question so you can answer one or multiple of them, but I'm curious like when you, when you were pregnant, what's like the weirdest or most invasive or interesting question that somebody asked you? I mean, I only, I mean, I just have horrible things, you know, as a transgender man and telling my story publicly. Yeah. It was just, you know, it yeah. was just really awful. Oh, gosh. Um, so in the spirit of not just sharing the worst things, mm. I would say the best thing that happened to me was there was this one time when I was at the coffee shop down the street from my house, which is like where I, I like work out of there when I'm working from home. Uh, you know, I'm there at least a couple times a week. So it's like my place. So I feel really comfortable mm-hmm. there. And I was just like in the long line to get 
coffee when I was like three months pregnant or so. Not really showing, but I guess if you looked, you could tell. And there was a much more pregnant woman than me in front of me. And we were talking about something else. I was like, oh, no, are they out of the everything bagels or whatever? And she's like, yeah, I know it's my favorite too. And I was like, oh, are you, know, are you expecting? And I know you're not supposed to ask that question, but it was very obvious. And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, just a couple months away. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so exciting. My due date's in July. And she's like, oh, man, are you guys nesting or like getting ready or what? And I'm like, no, we haven't even started. You know, so we have this like super normal mundane conversation about pregnancy. And then she gets her drink and then leaves. And I get my drink and then leave. And as I'm walking home, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I just had like a normal conversation with another pregnant person that wasn't about like, how did this happen? Or like, why did you want to get pregnant if you're a man? And like, is this some kind of nothing invasive or weird at all? We just had like a normal conversation. It was like, I fell into a parallel universe for a second. I love that. So that I think was the most fun and interesting thing that happened to me when I was pregnant. That's awful. Isn't it? You know, I feel like it's so interesting when the mundane things are the things that stick out to us. You know what I mean? When there's so much like weird going on yeah. that like the one, yeah. you know what I mean? Those things are the things that like we remember. I love that. I think one of the things that I remember, which was tough for me, and this was in the period, the conception period rather than the pregnancy period where I, I'm polyamorous and I was preparing to try to become pregnant. And I also was dealing with some mental health challenges at that time. And so I decided to change my medication. So, and due to insurance stuff, I ended up having to go to a different psychiatrist that I usually had gone to in the past. And I was also working with a, with a psychologist for therapy. And the psychiatrist, apropos of nothing, basically told me that I was too alternative to have kids and it was terrible for them. And my girlfriend was going to leave me once I was showing. Yeah. I wish you could see my face. Our faces right now are wild. Oh my God. I spent the next month with my psychologist who I actually worked with unpacking that and my reaction to that. And it definitely added to me having a fear during my early pregnancy about my relationships and about how being pregnant would affect my relationships. I will give you the end of the story that um, I am still both with the partner who is the father of my son and the partner who was certainly going to leave me as soon as I start showing and my son's now 16. <laughs> That's amazing. So. I love that. Oh, screw you, doctor. <laughs> Again, someone who needs the training. Everyone needs these trainings. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so I'm also curious if you, uh, and we, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you've had an experience of, um, of a child asking about about your pregnancy and how you responded I mean, in that moment. We didn't really have many of those situations come up. I know when we first sat down, when I hit the second trimester and we sat down with our kids to say, you know, we had been telling them already for months that we've been thinking about this. We want to do this just to get the ball rolling for them. And so, you know, we sat them down and we had, um, you know, sparkling apple cider and we have the like little fancy champagne flutes, you know, and we're filling them up and the kids are like, dang, this is special. And then my daughter, who is seven, sort of like gives us the side eye and she's like, wait a minute, what are we celebrating? And we said, well, daddy's going to have a baby. And 
they had already knew that it was coming. And so they didn't have any questions or anything like that. But the very next day, my daughter went to her school and like told her whole class that she was going to become a big sister because her daddy was pregnant and was going to have a baby. And everyone in the class was like, that is awesome. You're going to be like a great big sister. And she came home and she was so excited. She's like, I told everyone at school and they're so excited for us. And then the following day, she comes home from school and she's like, okay, well, the same classmates that were really excited for me yesterday, today, they went home and like they they told their parents and today they came to school and said that I was lying and that a man can't have a baby and that that can't be true and I must be misunderstanding the situation. And I just explained to them, no, my dad is transgender so he could have a baby. But that part was a little, she, you know, she was pretty disappointed that everyone was really excited and then their stupid parents Aww. had told them that they were <laughs> lying or she was lying or they misunderstood oh, or God. she misunderstood or what. So then she had to like deputize all of her classmates to explain Transgender 101 to their parents like in second grade. So yeah, that was a little rough. <laughs> and, and I imagine it's, it's so frustrating as a child when you know that you're right about something. Totally. And, and grownups are saying, no, you're wrong. And you're like, don't patronize me. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> totally. In fact, I know that, more than you. And isn't that <laughs> oh, just God. the way that like kids yep. are fine and their parents are not? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's hard. I think I don't when because that's true. Like kids are, I mean, that's why young kids don't have problems with a lot of these things they're taught you know they're i mean and then then now i'm gonna get into a nihilistic rant about how everything is made up and everything's a, a concept you know social construct but yeah anyway before i do that um vicky do you have anything to add to that yeah i didn't have a lot of the experience of talking to young children during my pregnancy i kind of was in a geek social group where <laughs> it was mostly folks who didn't have kids and so it was sort of an unusual thing that i was pregnant in the social group and our friends were pretty excited, but I do work with a lot of pregnant people who have older kids. Mm -hmm. And because the majority of people in New York or in the U S generally give birth in hospitals and in general hospitals don't allow people under the age of 18 in the room Mm. while there's birthing, those kids often have a lot of questions that come to me because I'm coming to their home as an expert when they might not see the doctor or see the other mm. professionals as a person who's going to be helping your mom or your parent with, you know, when the baby comes, all of their questions of like the mechanics of how does this actually work? How does the baby get out often come to me? And again, it's always a sort of understanding what's age appropriate as mm. well as what's appropriate to that parent and understanding that that parent doesn't have me there primarily for that job, Mm. but that the kids are really curious and that they're coming to me as somebody who may, you know, know a lot about it and that they feel, and just recognizing that, that they feel isolated from the actual birth experience because they're not going to be allowed to be in the room for that experience. I never realized, I know, I guess I never thought about it because it's not the, the world that I'm in necessarily, but about the age, the age limit. It's, it's also hard, like as, as someone who's working with families, it's sort of in a similar way where like, I'm working with different families or I'll babysit, or even as I, my background is in education. So as an educator, I think it's tricky sometimes when you get questions and you're like, I know how I want to answer that question, but like, what are the values of this family and what is my place here? And like, you know, it's sort of a weird and tricky thing to navigate sometimes. 
what I'm saying. And sometimes it's hard to know what a parent's going to want. Yeah. Does that parent want me to say, you know, mommy's going to do a lot of work. And then finally, after a lot of work, baby's going to be here. Or does that parent want me to say, oh, that baby's going to move from, you know, from mommy's uterus through her vagina and out into the world, you know, which of those is yeah. the right register for that family and that kid. And hopefully I have a sense, but I won't say I've never either shared too much information or been reticent to the point where the kid didn't really get their question quite answered. Yeah, I know. It's a tricky one. That's why I'm lucky now I work with, I primarily work with one family every day. So I sort of have a feel for how we have conversations about how to answer those questions and what we're calling body parts and what we're, you know. Um, I'm also curious about like when you were a kid yourself, how, you know, how did you learn about conception and pregnancy? I mean, I'm really lucky because I was raised in a medical house. My father's a physician. My mother's a, um, mm. she was for many years um, a physical therapist. And then she ran my dad's medical office. And so they were very much in the like, call body parts what they are. You're not going to call it a hoo-ha or a dingling <laughs> or whatever it was very much. Although for some reason... I cannot figure out why. And my sisters do not have a recollection of this. But I am 99% sure that we never said vagina. But the, our parents, for some reason, referred to our genitalia as a perineum. And I don't, I don't know why, but like... That's I, a very I, specific I, word for a very specific part. <laughs> I know, I know. And so I'm not sure why that was. And my mom was like, what? No, but I'm like, dude, where else would I have known the word perineum from as a child? But um, but regardless, it was mm. very much, you know, a, it was very factual and um, and technical. And I think that that was great in some ways because I knew the like technical details of things. But in another way, we never talked about the emotional aspects of sex and intimacy. Mm. We never talked about consent. We never talked about pleasure. I mean, any of the things that I, you know, it's great to, that you learn about the technical yeah, totally. stuff, but that's really only part of the story. Um, so that's, yeah. And so that's, I mean, it's, I, it's honestly still part of my journey as an adult, <laughs> as a 37 year old grown ass man to learn about, you know, asking for what I want and saying no to the things I don't want. I still struggle with those things. I love so that's, that. That's a yeah, that makes missing. a lot of sense. I think that's sort of, as I've been talking about, um, this topic with other folks too. I feel like that's a very similar, similar thread. And we were, as we were reading sort of all the books that exist on the topic, barely any of them cover pleasure at all. It's like sex is to make a baby. And I'm like, there are so many, that's one, one thing that can happen when you have sex, but I don't think that's always the goal of sex. I think there are some other things happening there, but it's interesting how we always, uh, books at least, and sort of like the talk as we, as we call it, always sense a focus on that, which is really strange. Um, but anyway, uh, Vicky, do you have anything to add to that about how you learned? Yeah. It's interesting when you ask this question, because I'm the oldest of three and I'm realizing as I'm thinking, I really have no memories of my mother's pregnancies huh. at all. Um, except for the sort of, she went to the hospital and came home with a baby <laughs> part. So I suspect she didn't talk about it very much and kind of minimized her discomfort, which I think, again, if you look for at women from that generation, yeah. um, you know, th she wasn't really supposed to talk about her body, even though these things were going on. And, you know, I think I can vaguely remember that there were changes going on in her body and that there was approximately this date when there was going to be a baby, but not a lot 
else about it. I certainly don't remember uh, her discussing changes that were going on or my engaging with my little sister, my little brother, you know, on the inside, like you see kids sometimes mm-hmm. talking to the belly or whatever. I don't remember doing that at all. And uh, in terms of connecting sex and pregnancy, I remote, remember mostly starting to think about it when I was a teen, when I was going through puberty yeah. and having this terror of pregnancy mm. because I didn't at that point conceptualize myself at someday being a parent particularly. So to me, this whole idea that you might want to be sexually active and then you might get pregnant was in this real sort of terrified space. Yeah. I know. I was, I remember being really, apparently my mom, when I was, I was recently talking to my mom on the phone about how I was doing this topic. And she was like, you know, after I read the book to you and gave you the talk, what you said to me, because they were framing it as something you do after you were married. And I told my mom, ah, I'm not going to do that even after I'm married. I was like, so not interested. (laughs) Um, But yeah. I will say for several years, my birthday present from my mom was a story. So she sent me this series of emails over the course of several years. I think the first year it was my birth story. It was, you know, when she went into labor, um, what it was like in the hospital, what the labor process was like, what the postpartum process was like. And then the year after that, she shared her mother's birthing story with me through email of her being born Mm. and what, you know, what, what that was like as according to what her mother told her. And then the year after that, I believe she told her mother's birthing story of being born to my grandmother. Mm. And so I always thought that that was really wonderful that I have those stories. I love that. Um, and, And on my birth and on my birthday every year, my mother does not give me a present. She celebrates her birthing day and she does something nice for herself for having given birth to such an amazing human. And I'm like, that is a, that's the best present you could give I me. I love that. It's to celebrate yourself. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that's, I don't know. I just think that's a really cool way of not just recognizing that this child showed up in the world, but that you did that's that. So special. You know? Yeah, it's funny. My mom and I have a similar uh, kind of a silly tradition where on my birthday, she says, you're welcome. And on Mother's Day, I say, you're welcome. <laughs> like, you can celebrate this day. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. That's <laughs> good. Yes, very wholesome. Um, so... Um, on the flip side, how have you or how would you explain pregnancy and conception either to your own kids or to kids in general? Well, I think my, my poor son being the <laughs> son of a doula knows everything he needs to know or wants to know about about birth and about details and has probably known them since pretty young and just sort of in, internalized that um, and is not necessarily particularly connected Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And I think in terms of exploring sexuality hasn't really, you know, that's not sort of a central piece in terms of, you know, how he's thinking about things, but we've been really very matter of fact about it since, since a very young age that this is just, you know, something that, that bodies do. So I think his, his big association, if he got anything out of it is that people, you know, go into labor, at no notice at any time and that it takes a long time because I think that's his experience of me going to work with people. He's an only, so he didn't have any experience of me being pregnant, although certainly friends, parents will be the case. Um, So, but I think it's really pretty straightforward, but we didn't necessarily engage it in a personal way, the way the folks, if they're having Mm -hmm. younger kids, 
have to engage it in an age-appropriate and very personal way. That makes sense. (laughs) I mean, my kids are still pretty young. And I mean, I think the first, I mean, we had always talked to, you know, we have have always sort of like done whatever, no stigma-free sex ed as appropriate for their age, but just like touching yourself Mm -hmm. and where that's appropriate to do and where it's not. And we've always just called it private time. And it was always just like, okay, well, you know, honey, if you want to explore your body, the appropriate place to do that is in private for private time. So that's just always been like our code word for masturbation, basically. And I remember being Mm -hmm. in the car with my partner driving and me in the front seat and the two kids in the back seat, but this is before my baby was born. And our oldest son, he must have been nine at the time, maybe eight. He was like, hey, hey, dad, does some people ever does private time with other people? And we were like, oh, no, it's happening. (laughs) And my partner was... And that phrasing comes out so funny just based on this, dude. (laughs) Yep. And of course, my partner was like, "Uh uh-huh. That's called sex. And my son was all, okay. And that was like literally it. it. And we were like, yeah, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's what everyone says is like, you will answer the question they ask because mm-hmm. they're, they, they ask the question according to what they're able to understand. Um, but with our daughter, I've been much more proactive because I feel like as a girl, she is going to experience consent and issues around her body and being targeted and being sexualized in a different way than my son will. And yeah. so I've tried to be more proactive with her about talking about her her body and pleasure and boundaries and um, all of those things. And, and I've done that all in the framework of Sex is a Funny Word, the Corey Silverman book. Yeah, I love that book. Corey Silverberg is great. So funny because I was just about to bring up what makes a baby at some point during our discussion, which is which is the one that I more see from where uh, I'm looking at. Yeah, both of those books are really, really incredible um, resources, and we've talked about them previously on the podcast because, unfortunately, there's a lack, there's a dearth of books around this topic that are really comprehensive and good. So the same couple <laughs> always are keep coming up on rotation, but now you know they're good. Everyone's talking about them. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about working with kids in the Our Whole Lives sexuality program because that program talks about circles of sexuality mm. and it talks about sort of the emotional and the social and the physical kind of all together. And it really is a good opportunity to be talking mechanics, not isolated from talking about, you know, the emotional things that happen as well as to be able to talk about things like pregnancy and things like birth control in a positive way um, with the same kids and with the same educators. Because I think the big problem sometimes is that these topics get isolated from one another in different conversations. And so it's hard for kids to pull together and sometimes for teens to pull together how it might be relevant for them if they're not necessarily planning to get pregnant, but they are definitely engaging sexuality and that pregnancy is one thing bodies do and a lot of other things in the realm of sexuality are also things that bodies do and if you can put them all kind of in a set it it really makes a lot more sense to talk about 
Alrighty, it's about that time. Time for some announcements. Uh, first of all, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I just really, really appreciate all of the love and support that this project has been getting. It really means a lot to me, and I'm glad that people are enjoying it. I also wanted to take a moment to congratulate the winners of our winter book giveaway, Leanna DeFulvio and Ezra Gray. Congratulations, and I hope you enjoy your books. Speaking of the winter season, if you're feeling generous this winter, uh, there are two things that you can do that would really, really help us out. The first thing costs you nothing, and that's just to share this podcast with someone that you know that you think might like it. So my request this holiday season, if you feel like giving me a little gift, is the gift of sharing this podcast with one person you know who you might think is interested. The second thing that you can do to help support us is uh, donate to our Patreon. You can donate as little as a dollar a month and get some really, really awesome rewards. You can get things like bloopers. You can get uh, access to our Discord where you can chat with other fans as well as me. You can get care packages full of all sorts of cool goodies. Um, you can get personalized book recommendations. You can get a kid's book sent to you every other month. Yeah, we have really, really awesome stuff. And I just want to shout out to our first official patron Emma Kuhnenbaum thank you so much Emma you rock and now it's basically just the same old you can always follow us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook Twitter and Instagram if you want to reach out to us you can do so by emailing radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go on www.radchildpodcast.com and click on our contact section in that section you'll also find information about being a guest if you're interested in doing that we're always looking for guests for all kinds of upcoming topics uh, so please definitely check that out and now, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Crystal and Rebecca, and then we'll get back to the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So, okay, so now here's here's my big question of the day, which is I think all of this kind of like theory is great, but I, I'm imagining the grown-up on the other, you know, listening to this going, okay, all of that's nice, but when my kid comes to me and says, where do babies come from, what do I actually say? So what would be your answer to that question if a kid asked you that question? I mean, I think the first thing is to really probe on what the question that they want to have answered is. You know, I really love what you said, Tristan, about your your child, because that question needed a five-second answer, that that thing existed and had, an, had a name, um, and that was all that was needed in that moment. And 
Sometimes the question is, how did the baby get in there? Sometimes the question is sort of mechanically, how does a person that doesn't have a baby be a person that does have a baby? Um, and, and then, and a lot of the time that question is not going to be about sex, especially with younger kids yeah, because that you haven't connected it for them yet. They haven't connected about that. And that's not the question. The question is what happened? How does, how does a human being turn to exist? And so you can really talk about growing and changing inside the person. You may not even need to talk about that second person's involvement right away. Um, And always ending with, did I answer the question? Because if what you did was around the loop of what they wanted to ask, they will know that their question was not answered and they will try again. Yeah, I think it's so important to, we always say to answer a question with a question of, oh, like, what are you curious about? Or, you know, what do you already know about that? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So that we're making sure that we're actually answering. I mean, we, I always, I fall back, honestly, on the language that's used in what makes a baby is just like to make a baby, you need three things, egg, sperm, and a place for that baby to grow. Sometimes they say four things, you know, and the family to love that baby when the baby is Aww, born. I love um, and those, you know, those three things can come from two people. They can come from three different people. And, you know, then I just frame it in like how they were made. Um, so then I can say, so for example, you were made, you have a birth dad and he contributed the sperm. You have a birth mom. She contributed the eggs and the uterus. And then we were the loving home that you ended up coming to live with, you know, for our two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, or we'll say, and, and Dada was born. And when Dada was born, he has a birth dad that he doesn't have a relationship with. And he had a birth mom. That's Nana. And she had trouble during her pregnancy at the, during the, the end part. And so they made a special cut in her belly to be able to get data out safely so that both of them could survive the experience, you know? So there are a couple of ways to, to tell it. Yeah. And so, and I'll say like the other thing that is, it really is just like, it's so much about what they're ready to hear. Yeah. Because my partner contributed sperm to a friend's pregnancy mm-hmm. and we weren't telling the kids about that until they were pregnant and in their second trimester. And then we said, you know, our friends are pregnant and you know that they come over here quite a bit and data contributed the sperm for that pregnancy. And Haley was like, so you took the sperm out of your body and put it in their body. And we were all, "Uh uh-huh. And she was like, well, did that hurt? And we were like, nope. And she was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, again, Thank God. So we're like we're, we don't have to talk about ejaculation yet, and we don't have to talk about artificial insemination or assisted. But no, none of that. She's just like, did it hurt? No. Okay, great. And then that's like literally all she wanted to know. And then of course the next question was, oh my God, like is that going to be our baby then? And we were like, not at all. We will have no relationship to this baby. We may meet this baby a couple of times, but that is their baby. And then you get to talk about all those other things about like what makes a love family and all of those parts because. She was gravely concerned that that meant we were going to have another child in our family. And we were like, no, 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 no. It's interesting if you work with lesbian couples or other couples where it's pretty obvious to young kids that, you know, we don't, we don't have a male person and a female person here. Um, And it really opens you up in a much more obvious way to sometimes getting away with talking around sex, but also talking about that 
that it really is these different components that make the baby and uh, that may or may not be related to sex in any moment. But it is sometimes difficult, certainly if you're talking with people who are managing through insemination or who don't have a partner to there is this sort of sense that it's complicated or that it's medical or that it's painful because in that person's individual experience it is and to communicate that honestly without making it scary is sometimes a little a little bit of a a challenge in terms of uh you know keeping keeping things in terms of you know how bodies are you know it's a bigger conversation how all our bodies to lesser or greater degrees, we sometimes need help from professionals managing what our bodies do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my daughter was most worried when I told her I was pregnant. She was most worried about childbirth. She was just like, I don't, but I don't want you, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want that to hurt for you. And I was like, there is literally no way to do it, so it doesn't hurt. Like, that's just like part of the process of like bringing new life into the world. Like, it's going to be uncomfortable at best. <laughs> And I'm and I'm prepared to handle that, and I will be okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds like very. This is the same one that was concerned about the pain for the ejaculation, right? Yeah. It's very concerned about everyone being being comfortable. She is safe. our little. That. She's our little caretaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. You just definitely hear that uh, with pregnant people. Sometimes the kids will be like, "Is this when you know? Is this going to hurt my mom when 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 you go in the hospital?" Uh, First of all, yep. again, the idea of going in a hospital most of the time. When you, when, unless you're giving birth, when you go into the hospital, you're sick, you're hurt, etc. Yeah. So there's that explanation to start with, and then the second to talking about, you know, whether you want to talk about pain with a purpose or whether you want to talk about, you know, it's tough, like when you really challenge yourself, like when you do a run till you're exhausted, but at the end you feel really satisfied about it. Um, but yeah, kids want to take care of us. So sweet. So my my last question before we start to wrap up is just um, how how do you respond to the idea that like this is an adult topic? I'm using air quotes. You can't see me, listeners. <laughs> oh my gosh, kids are fascinated by babies. Yeah, unquestionably, that is sort of like a big kid topic that babies are around and. Kids are also, because many, many families have more than one child, they're going to be experiencing this directly, often in the toddler years. And again, as we've been discussing this whole podcast, although sex conception and pregnancy are often related, that the parts that kids are interested in are not the parts that have to do with sex particularly. They have to do with bodies. They have to do with families. They have to do with how bodies change. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the ways that kids engage it. So it's a critical topic for kids because if you don't discuss it and they're experiencing in their in their world, they're seeing a, a friend or family member who's pregnant. They're worrying about what happens when this baby comes. They're worried about what their responsibility is. And you don't actively engage that. They're sitting in this confused fear space, which yeah, they don't deserve. Totally. I think, I think for me, I also think about even if, you know, we can't get, if a parent can't quite get there, like, listen, they're going to be learning something about these topics from their friends, from YouTube, from their teachers, from people who are not their friends that are out there in the world. Like you have an opportunity to frame this conversation in a positive way 
hope-filled, evidence-based way, or you have the opportunity to undo some pretty egregious misinformation down the road that may yeah. or may not have actually caused harm to your child. You know, if they're told yeah. that, I don't know, I mean, there are lots of traumatic, horrible things that our, our kids have heard, including, this is not about sex, but like the twins across the street told them that there's a special kind of spider that crawls in your ear while you're asleep and then eats your brain. And then oh they God. didn't. They, I know. And they didn't think to tell, ask us, like, is this real for like six weeks? And so Haley had been going to sleep with earmuffs on her ears. And we were like, is it too cold in her room or what? And it wasn't until weeks later that she was like, no, it's because the twins told me about this spider. And that's so why I just don't. And we're like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not that is not real. That is not real. And so that's not obviously a sex-based example, but I think we can extrapolate that there are similar things that kids could hear and believe that could be traumatizing for them and could make it harder for them in the future to have healthy, consent-based, positive, intimate relationships with other people. You know, you have a chance to like get out in front of that and to build trust with them. So they know when they hear something idiotic, they can come to you and be like, um, is it, is this true? And you can be like, yeah, that is true. Or like, no, not at all. Here's what's actually real. And I think that's that's what I try to help parents think about is like you can have this conversation or like some idiot will instead. Yeah, well, that's like I think about this a lot, especially with with talking about sex and and these things with some of the sort of like damaging definitions and messages that are out there. I was reading this book that I was really excited about called Questions Children Ask and How to Answer Them, and I was like, this sounds like a great book. And then I started reading it. This is how they define sex in this book. To, to read to tell your child. Sex is one way two grown-ups who love each other, like mommy and daddy, can get as close as possible and cuddle and kiss in a special way. Um, sometimes a man and a woman can start a baby when they have sex. I'm like, so now, and the, this is the slightly older one. The younger one is just sex is a special sort of cuddling. And I'm like, so now you're telling children that cuddling and sex are the same thing and that they can have a baby if they cuddle with someone. I'm like, that's wild to me. How terrifying. Right? Like, could you imagine being a child and hearing that definition? And so I'm wow. thinking like well-intentioned grown-ups or other people in your life might be telling you definitions of things. Like if you're not taking the reins and trying to, you know, give the definition that you want to give or that you, you feel is accurate and, th- you know, then they're going to, they're going to be hearing other things and you don't know what they're going to be hearing about brain eating spiders, you know? <laughs> the other thing is that you're just opening up those lines of communication. Yeah. If the first time that you're engaging this is when your kid is hitting puberty, and you haven't opened up, you know, you're a safe yeah. person who has good, compassionate information to talk about at that point. And suddenly you have a teen who's experiencing attractions, experiencing <laughs> feelings, maybe terrified about pregnancy or confused yeah. about pregnancy um, and just generally not having a good sense of body stuff. And you have to start there. What yeah. a hard place from a parent perspective and a child perspective to talk. Whereas, you know, if you already know that you've got the language in place, you've got the terminology in place, you've got the background in place in terms of your relationship as well as your communication, then you can get that next And also you want kids to know that you're a safe person to talk to because then if they don't feel that, you know, if maybe we haven't opened up those lines of communication, then maybe they're going to go to someone else and not, and get that weird cuddling definition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. Yes. So strange. Oh, also in this book, it says that it's okay to be gay and it's okay to have sex if you're gay, but only if you love one another. And I'm like, what? 
everything in this book is about how sex and love are the same thing. And I'm like, that is wildly not true. I can't. I want to. I'm literally going to go to the library and request that they take it off the shelves. It's really upsetting. That's, a, that's egregious. Yeah. A lot of half of the book is just like about sex and all of this stuff. And I'm like, what is, what are you? Blah, blah. I wrote, I wrote like a five paragraph letter to the author. Like if you ever re like, you know, modernize this book a little bit, here's what you should do. <laughs> here's a free review. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Um, so just to wrap things up, I'm curious if y'all have any uh, recommendations for resources. I know we mentioned the two Corey Silverberg books, um, but either for grownups or for kids about this topic. You know, I don't know that there's particular resources that I'm popping up besides the books that you mention every time. They're so good. But I would say in general that real images are good for kids. So again, as an adult, you're going to take this time to screen what's on the internet because there's lots of terrible, terrible things. But yeah. that there are lots of really amazing birth videos out there. And mm-hmm. If you have a kid who's feeling really lost because they don't know what's going to happen in the black hole of the hospital when you can't take them there, um, that that there are really beautiful, beautiful videos that are out there. Um, you know, there's there's some TV shows like A Birth Story, and there's some good things in them and some not so good things in them, and they definitely tend to be pretty heteronormative. But mm-hmm. um, but really, just you know, bringing it back to sort of real real people and real images is sort of where yeah where i'm a big fan i love that and it's i mean it's funny uh, that's what i hear from a lot of parents is that they're just really happy that we told our trans pregnancy story publicly because it was just a, a good excuse for them to find that teachable moment so they could like show that instagram post to their kids of any age and say you know you may hear that only women have babies but there are special kinds of men who are transgender, who can also have babies. And so I think that always, you know, in in lieu of really great books, like use the real world, find yeah. opportunities to talk to your kids about these things and answer those questions that come up for them proactively, um, knowing that they're going to be bombarded with so much bad stuff around relationships, sex, trans issues, uh, <laughs> all of those things, reproduction, yeah. where babies come from, you know, you have to really be proactive and creative and fun, you know, don't have it be like a lecture every time, you know, sometimes it can just be like a fun discussion. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, can help I them really that. internalize it. It was almost like what we were saying earlier about the, like, you're listening to the radio or you're watching something and you can be like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you think about this? And they're going to be like, ah, why can't we just ever <laughs> sit through something? But it's good to, you know, to have those be like, Oh, I was just reading this article. What do you think about that? Or did you know that, you know, this could happen or whatever? And pregnant people are in the environment. You walk around, there's a lot of, you can see them. So that, <laughs> and it's a, it's something that, that kids tune into visually, Yes, you know, so those those opportunities are are going to come up. This is true. <laughs> All right. So um, finally, before we close out, I just wanted to know if there's any projects or things that you I don't know if you both mentioned um, things that you uh, organizations that you worked with or for. Uh, if there's anything like that that you just wanted to plug. Um, yeah, I mean, the work that I'm doing at Family Equality, I'm really proud of. Um, if you're an LGBTQ person who are a parent or a prospective parent. We have like a whole resource library so that you can learn like what are the laws in your state? Do you need to do a second parent adoption? 
spoiler alert, you need to do a second parent adoption, like regardless of what state you're in. But you know, the systems just aren't built for us and we have to hack them all the time. Um, I also have, um, I've also built this year a trans specific family building resource library with articles, research, videos, everything that you need to get started on your journey. Um, and then the third piece that I've done with family equality is we um, we've built a whole online training program for providers. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in finding a provider that is actually invested in learning how to welcome you, um, you can look for that. We have a whole searchable map. So you can go to your area and search Whoa. for midwives, doulas, reproductive endocrinologists, attorneys, anyone that you might be interacting with. We can't promise that every person you work with there is going to be like perfect but we can guarantee that this is an organization that's invested in their own learning and that you're more likely to have a good experience there than, than elsewhere. And this is in the United States, correct? Correct. In the U S okay. Yeah. Just cause I do have, I'm, I'm in Canada. So, Oh yeah. That's Hi, I'm, I'm up here. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we actually have, there's one of the global, um, fertility groups that we work with has a whole, uh, they have a whole Canadian wing. So then you will hit in Canada. So yeah. And then you can always That's follow awesome. me on social media if you want to see baby pictures. <laughs> Amazing. What's your, um, your handle? Sure. Um, we are at Biff and I, my partner's name is Biff. And so it's just B-I-F-F-A-N-D-I, Biff and I. Amazing. Yeah. Great. I mostly just want to let people know that if you're interested in reaching out to me, if you are pregnant or considering becoming pregnant and you're a person who may not meet the standard mold of medical care in the United States, that I love to work as a doula with with pregnant people and with families to make sure that you as an individual get seen and don't get shoved into systems in general, especially systems don't work for you. And you can find me at wholeselfdoula.com. And I do work virtually. So if you're not in the New York area and still want that, want that kind of support, I work with Skype and care packages and all sorts of things like that. You can also find me on Instagram at wholeselfdoula. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank you again to all of our listeners for joining us for another episode. See you next time.
A spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Fraser Crane, the much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten years earlier, the baby was born. The baby who would be born was destined to ask one pay for $264 to watch through every episode of Fraser with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatan, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to their call.